when you're walking around, you just try to see all the objects, all the details as they are, trying to visualize how you draw, how you depict them. We practiced finding beauty and observing the details in like the weirdest things like crooked houses, dilapidated buildings, half-eaten leaves that taught us that the less perfect the object or the motif is, the more unique it is, the more interesting and special. Everything we noticed we were supposed to kind of draw, doesn't matter which technique you use, we were giving freedom, but we had to create a large number of sketches, artworks, just depicting whatever catches our eyes. And being given this task, you really start to look around and really truly see things. You become an observer, so you don't just go around being inside your head. The mind goes away and you just learn to look and see. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 54 of the So This Is My Wine podcast. I'm your host and producer, Lingya, and today's guest is Yulia Brodskaya, a Russian artist and illustrator known for painting with paper, known for pioneering the contemporary art of paper quilling, which we will get into in this interview. Yulia's work is both simple, yet highly complex and stunning in its execution. She uses colored paper and cocktail sticks to create art that has been collected by the likes of Oprah Winfrey, Paramount Pictures, and Wimbledon, and even designed stamps for the United States Postal Service and New Zealand Post. In this interview, we learn how Yulia was first exposed to art in Russia, how she ended up studying in the UK, and all things regarding the art of paper quilling, as well as how she built her career as an artist. So are you ready for Yulia's story? Let's go. Welcome to the So This Is My Why podcast, where we talk to people about their whys and how they turn them into realities to inspire you to live your best life. And here's your host, Ling Ya. So I understand that you were born in Moscow, and I wonder what your childhood was like growing up in the 1980s in Moscow. The most thing is, I remember it's just being a child, going to the country house. For some reason, that's where like my best childhood memories are. When I was about five, my parents decided that I didn't go to a nursery or kindergarten. I was always like with my mom or my grandmother, and they said it would be nice for me to spend some time with other children and learning to do something else. So they sent me to lessons, just a couple hours per week, but we were doing music, dance, art. Oh, I enjoyed those lessons and I enjoyed art in particular. And the teacher, apparently she saw something in me. So she told my parents that she thinks I have a talent and she even went further and took my portfolio, all those drawings I created with her. And so she took them to an, like proper art school to see if they want to enroll me. And apparently they liked it too. So I'm really grateful to that first teacher. I don't remember her name, but that was her who really saw something in me at the age of five. I have no idea <laughs> what she did see, but that's how I got into art school. So I was just six and it was kind of an evening school, which I would go to two or three times per week after my normal school. 
but I started it exactly the same year with my normal school. And then I finished it after 10 years. So for 10 years, you know, every week, except for summer holidays, I was just constantly drawing something, painting, whatever they asked us to do. Do you enjoy it? Because I would have imagined as a child, you would want to go out and play, not work and work and work. But you were doing this for so long. It's from such a young age. I didn't mind doing it because I think if I didn't like it, I would say something to my parents. But I can't say that I really loved it. As you said, I mean, I would choose playing and doing something fun, like any time over <laughs> drawing. It's only much later towards high school or even like university years when I actually realized that I'm actually, I, you know, <laughs> I'm actually enjoying doing art, making art and creating. But before I was kind of really going with the flow. So when you realize you enjoy art, was that when you started thinking, I want to do it for the rest of my life as a career? I don't know, funny enough, I kind of didn't put much thought into what I want to be doing. And I was a good girl. I always, always listened to my parents. They saw that I'm quite good at it. So they suggested, why don't you just continue doing art? But actually, they thought that maybe being an artist is not the best way to earn living. So their suggestion was I do something like with applied arts. So they chosen a university for me and a course around graphic design and advertisement. At least that's how it was called. <laughs> I mean, in, they teach slightly different things. It was just a title, but, it, but my parents wanted me to have more real life application to my skills. So, so not that just I'll be an artist, but I'll be able to work on the computer or work in agencies. So more real life application. And I, I wasn't against it. As, again, as I said, I've Somehow I just was going with the flow. My parents said it would be a good idea. So I said, yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> was this the five-year course at Moscow Textile University? Yes, that was the one. At the beginning, we went to see how they do things. And uh, what really spoke to me is the ornamental and decorative way that they were approaching all the subjects. So it, it, it wasn't uh, like, you know, strict academic type of drawing and painting when you learn the techniques there are specific ways things supposed to be and look we were still doing plenty of model drawing and still life so things has to be like done properly but at the same time there was this kind of decorative ornamental flair that would probably you know come from the textiles because there are patterns there are like uh, different color blocking in textiles so i think that kind of flew into other like painting and, and drawing areas around the whole textile academy. So it was actually a, a blessing because this time at the uni, it gave me quite a distinctive I don't know, style, you may say, or things that I appreciate. I suppose you can see it in my work. So it's quite decorative because I, I use different colors. I like patterns. I like incorporate them wherever I can. So I'm, I'm glad I didn't go to like really <laughs> academic school. I mean, it certainly sounds like a blessing because you have said before that those five years were crucial in setting you on the path that you are now. And I wonder what it was that was so pivotal. 
all these kind of revelations I only like you know realized much later because during those five years my main worry was that I'm not learning anything about graphic design because it was still uh, 90s the university wanted to be modern and contemporary they wanted to attract more students so the title of the courses were right but they didn't know how to teach us the real life graphic design or what it actually means for the five years i was frustrated that i'm kind of wasting my time but in fact right now i know that it's not true and one of the key things i learned during those years was because of the art practice art summer practices that student was sent to and that's where we learn to see the world with artists eyes it means that for instance when you walking around you just try to see all the objects all the details as they are trying to visualize how you draw how you depict them we practiced finding beauty and observing the details in like the weirdest things like crooked houses, dilapidated buildings, half-eaten leaves that's taught us that the less perfect the object or the motif is, the more unique it is, the more interesting and special. Everything we noticed we were supposed to kind of draw, doesn't matter which technique you used, we were giving freedom. But we had to create a large number of sketches, artworks, just depicting whatever catches our eyes. And being given this task, you really start to look around and really truly see things. You become an observer. So you don't just go around being inside your head. The mind goes away and you just learn to look and see. So you learned those very crucial techniques in those five years. What led you to decide you wanted to study graphic communication at the University of Hertfordshire? Well, that's because I was really frustrated that I haven't learned anything <laughs> practical. So then my parents and I thought, I can't learn it in Moscow, then maybe I should go and study one more year somewhere abroad. And we picked England. So that's how I ended up going to Hertfordshire University. And was that where you picked up your love of lettering? Yes, I think the first year, maybe then I did master's as well. So during those two years of my UK studies, I think that's when I, first of all, I realized that graphic design, it's not all about typography, but typography is a crucial part of it. So I, I think yeah, that's when you know, I, re I really got interested in, in letter forms, arranging them, creating interesting compositions with letters, trying kind of to draw them, imagining that they're not just letters, but they can be illustrations, so they need to be coherent with the message. The first love that you have, which is, you know, using paper as an art medium, and was it something you were experimenting with as a personal hobby while you were studying as well? I wouldn't say so. During the, my two years in England, I was mainly doing things on the computer because finally coming to the UK, I kind of felt the creativity in the air. I could feel that there are opportunities and I wanted to actually enter different competitions. They were usually design competitions. So I was still kind of doing a lot of things on the computer and not using paper that much. It's only towards the end of my master's degree. I entered one competition 
where they asked us to draw some things. And while doing some work for this competition, I suddenly realized that I prefer doing things with my hands rather than on the computer. So after I finished my master's, after I graduated, I spent like more than a year actually producing hand-drawn illustrations with very fine pen. I would like created, you know, very fine line illustrations. Some of them were with colors. So I, basically I was looking for my style, but using drawings. I still try to in incorporate typography quite a bit, but not with paper. Paper was not in the picture. Paper was always in my life in some ways, but it was, I think, mainly during my Moscow years, because back then there was a period I was interested in origami. There was another period I tried making handcrafted papers. I, I liked different textures. I would collect some nice textures if I ever stumbled upon one. But there was nothing like continuous or really specific that I was doing with it. I just liked it, but didn't use it that much. So what was the turning point where paper really came into your life? When I was still doing my hand-drawn typographic illustrations, I've done quite a few of them. And I decided it's time for me to send them over to magazine editors or some advertising agencies just to get some potential jobs. And um, I decided the best way would be to put together a small, like a booklet with my work samples. And what I was missing is the eye-catching illustration for the cover. And I decided that I'd like to create my name. So I tried several hand-drawn versions, but I didn't really like them. They were not original enough because I, I needed my booklet to be noticed and picked up. So as you know, the cover has to be spectacular. I, I don't remember how this idea came to my mind, but all I remember, I had some paper. I started to cut it into strips and then just play with those strips. Eventually, I made an outline on the mount board just with a pencil And then I took the strips of paper and repeated those drawn outlines with the edge glued strips. Also like rolling them, filling the insides of the letters. I made some of the paper strips like come out of those letters. Just basically had fun. Took me a couple hours. But once I finished, I was really surprised. Wow, it's, it looks so good. I kind of felt I'm at home. I really want to do it further. I dropped the booklet idea because I was got so much interested in this new technique so I decided I want to practice more I want to try different things so I spent another half a year just practicing working with paper using color still using like just white paper in the beginning I tried to blend my hand drawings with paper I think you said that at the time you didn't think that paper was enough right you needed to draw with the paper Yeah, it gives some nice 3D effects, but uh, I couldn't let go of my hand-drawn style. So it took quite a few artworks for all the drawing part to be squeezed off <laughs> the designs. You said that there was a half year where you were just exploring. How were you exploring that? What kind of projects were you looking for to expand on your skills? I was still focusing on typography mostly. So, for instance, my name, the, the very first one, Yulia, I've created using like red out paper for the outlines and then white for the insides. But then I thought, how would things look like if I use just white paper? So the next creation was made with the white 
paper only. So next I thought, okay, I can see how the white thing looks like. But what if I use like everything in color? So that was like my next step. It was still all around letters. So gradually, like I create one thing, then I get an idea of what would it be if I change like this particular aspect of it. And so I just moved on from one artwork to another, like pushing it in different directions until I thought that I get enough, until I kind of felt that I've done enough experience with the paper so that I'm ready to show it to people and see where it takes me. So during that half year when you were exploring, were you also being an illustrator as well? Because you had to fund yourself, right? Yeah. Well, I was married already. So big thanks to my husband who (laughs) supported me. But at the same time, I was also doing some translation projects for the company my husband was working for. So I brought some income. But I'm grateful to my family. So they always allowed me the opportunity to pursue what I really want to be doing because it was my decision that I want to do at least something with those like translation tasks I wanted to contribute but overall they told me just go ahead and do what you feel doing so in that way I was really blessed. That's amazing to hear so you said after that you were ready to show your work how do you go about getting your first client? I found several magazines, the ones that I liked the most. I found who the art directors were, somehow found their emails. (laughs) I'm good at doing research. And I just sent, I think, no more than 10 emails like to my favorite magazine. And yeah, one of them replied and it happened to be the art director of The Guardian's supplement called uh, G2. And he said if I wanted to illustrate their uh, upcoming Christmas issue about, I think it was, it was called Thrifty Christmas. I believe they already had some kind of design for it, but maybe it wasn't that excited. So he kind of decided to take a chance and give me this assignment to see if I managed to create something better to replace whatever they already had ready. But the thing is, there was only less than a week basically available for me to to give it a try if I choose to. Obviously, it was my first opportunity. So I said yes, even though I knew I kind of I'm jumping into a water without swimming vest. But the main issue was I didn't know how much time things would take me. I was only doing it in my own time without any deadlines. With my first commercial project, I had very particular time frame which needed to be met. So that was the challenging part. I really had to learn how to manage my time. And wasn't that the first time you learned that what you were doing was called quilling? You didn't know what it was before. I found out about it later. So I've, I've done this first project. It was crazy. I, I almost had a panic attack at some point because I was just realizing I'm not gluing fast enough. But once I've, I still managed to finish the job, they send a photographer. So another crucial part that together with that photographer, we found a way to photograph this type of artwork, which has to be really specific. So that's another thing I learned on the way. But once this supplement was published, it started to appear on various design blogs just because it was something new. I mean, this haven't been seen much before. And so I started to get emails or comments from people and some of them would mention quilling and I decided to Google what it is and that's how I found out. 
<laughs> that's what I was doing was could actually a name. Quilin is actually quite an ancient technique, right? Back in the 16th century. What is it actually? Yeah, it's believed to be ancient. No one can really pinpoint when it arrived because, you know, when paper has become available, it would be just uh, natural for people to take strips and start playing with them, coiling with them. So the earliest preserved samples of this kind of paper filigree are dated from around 17th century, maybe even earlier, but most likely they existed before it's paper. So not many of those ancient things have survived. I think it really was put on the map during the Renaissance period when monks and nuns start used it instead of metal wire to embellish and decorate different religious objects or book covers because usually they would create this paper filigree and then gild the edges. So it kind of gave the books and the items this shiny, expensive look, but not as expensive as if they would use metal filigrees. So discovering all this, did it change the way that you were doing your own art? Because at the time, I think you were using cocktail straw, wooden toothpick and thick paper rather than thin paper, which they always use. I've discovered the term quilling, but I kind of stuck to my guns. I still use exactly the same tools and cocktail sticks. I haven't really switched to all other techniques. The, the key difference is that I use heavy paper. That's why I don't really need those tools and those basic shapes that uh, traditional quilling uses. I just create my designs and lines freehand. When paper is thick, when it's cut into strip, you just shape it dip into glue, put it on the surface, and it stands on its own. With traditional quilling, it uses very, very thin, flimsy paper, so it's not stable. The only way you can work with it if you roll it into some kind of a shape, like a spiral or some kind of a loop. There are so many different shapes. I don't know them well because I never really <laughs> learned how to do it uh, like the traditional way. So it was very much your own personal style. No one else was doing the same thing. Yeah, I kind of reinvented it from scratch using slightly different methods. Did you start seeing people copy your style and did you feel as though this is my style and I'm very protective of it? Why are you copying me? Yeah, in the beginning, <laughs> I really felt protective of it. it. It didn't happen overnight. I had, I think, around two years of when it was pretty much just me doing it. But then at some point, more and more other people started to use it. So I would somehow stumble upon some magazine ad or other illustration created in a similar way. So I did feel they've stolen my style. And it was unpleasant. But luckily, over the years, I grew out of those feelings, realizing that it's actually a good thing. If people are following my example, it means I'm onto something good. So right now, I only see it in a positive way and I try to kind of teach people and help exploration of paper. What I'm really trying to encourage is creative freedom within the material because it's so new. I'm doing my own work, trying to push it into new undiscovered direction, but there can also be other people pushing it in a different way that I would never think of. So I think by doing these experiments and work together, we push the whole 
medium further because I, I do believe this type of the paper art can stand alongside other mediums such as painting it's amazing in its own right but it's still not known in the same way and not celebrated I, I think my work is to show people the potential of this technique and what you can do with paper and now I'm excited to see other people joining me And what is the process of creating one of your paper artwork? Because some of it, like your name, took a couple of hours. Some of it takes like two months. So that's very, very long. So how does the whole process work? Well, it does depend on what you're trying to create. I mean, in, in the beginning of my career, I was still mainly doing typo typography-based illustrations. So that kind of design would require one approach because you already have those letter forms. So I, I would use the existing letter forms, but just uh, bring over some decorative elements into it. The key thing for those type of designs was to be precise with the lines. If one line is crooked or slightly off, it was really noticeable because there are kind of letters, things has to be parallel, proportionally corrected, things need to be in the right place. So my first years was kind of an obsession about ensuring I <laughs> designed neatly so glue doesn't smudge. It's not smudges everywhere. And I was learning how to work with colors because another crucial thing was every strip of paper drops a shadow. And when you use different colored papers next to each other, then those shadows, they kind of, the reflections, they blend. So if you have a uh, you know, red paper next to yellow paper, so the overall reflection between them will be some kind of uh, orange. And you can vary that reflection by varying the distance between those strips of paper. So I was kind of learning how I consciously can adjust uh, those parameters to create the effects that I need. So nothing is random. Are those reflections uh, the reason why you favorite using white background a lot? Yeah, it's because there is no interference between the colors. Anytime you introduce some color on the background, you will get this color added to any reflection from the strips of paper that you have on top. So for instance, it comes to the point when you use very bright background, it simply overwhelms whatever reflection you might have on top. For this neat and organized and precise type of uh, design, I would always use white paper surface on the background. And what about when you use dark backgrounds, which you use sometimes? I imagine you must have to change the, your style as well to adapt to having a dark background. Well, I think right now we're still talking about like my early days style. So back then I, had, I maybe only used dark background a couple of times. And what I had to do is to introduce quite a few areas of uh, solid colored paper on the background, like something light, light areas, because it's just impossible to create eye-catching and bold elements or lines when you glue the edge glue strip of paper on a dark background. It just doesn't hold. It's too thin to be impactful in any way. So that's why I didn't really use it that much. Later, when I discovered my next method of working with paper strips, then I started to use dark background more and more. But the idea is, is the same. Whenever it is dark, I had to find ways either by introducing other paper manipulation methods 
or just finding some ways to make the lines thicker in order to stand out from the darkness. When you're doing a piece of art, when do you know that you have finished? Because it's so subjective, right? You could work on it for forever. So at what point do you feel that I'm done with it? I consider it done when nothing distracts me from seeing the whole picture. Because usually I stand like a few meters from the artwork and trying to observe the whole thing. And usually when I do it, I see little areas when I feel that need something. So I keep adding, then I again step back and then I observe how it changed. So I will be doing it quite a lot and it usually happens in the end. It's the most intense part of the process. It's literally I glue one paper, I stand back, I, I observe. I notice something else, <laughs> then I glue another piece of paper. But that's how it happens in the end. At some point, I just look at it and there is nothing bothering my eye. I leave it be and I come back to it another day. And many times there will be a couple of more things that I'll notice with fresh eyes that I still need to tweak but eventually that's not much and at some point I just look at it and nothing really distracts me from seeing it as a whole. Well I thought it was very interesting as well you, you said that you tend to finish 95% of your projects which is really incredible. How do you keep at it because I can't imagine that you were very happy and motivated and driven to finish every single piece. So how do you keep going? I rarely, rarely do it. I think there's literally just a couple of times I decided to to stop working. It's it's when I clearly see that it's a torture. It's just not going anywhere. Around the middle of every project, there comes the time when I might feel tired mentally or physically when it's still a long, long way till the end. And I've already been working on it for a while. So this stage is, I, I know it can usually happen. That's why I'm used to like pushing through, which I kind of do even with artworks that are not going well. But if it continues for too long and so I really feel that there is no progress, then I, I might leave it aside. But luckily, as I said, it doesn't really happen often. If I started something, in most cases, I finish it. You said before you are inspired by Gustav Klim, who's an Austrian painter, especially his golden face. Why is that? I think that's, uh, again, my Moscow education's legacy, because he was one of the celebrated artists who we were shown as an example. So many students like him. And I think that's when I also like, fell in love with his work. I think it, it's that uh, decorative aspect and use of patterns that really speaks to me. I don't know, it's difficult to explain when you like something and draw something. I, I try not to overthink it. <laughs> and then one of the things I love is that you have personal projects and you have done 45 old people portraits. How did that personal project start? At some point after creating many, many typography-based designs and commercial client work, I felt I need to do something for myself. I don't know, that's how I started to considering doing some portraits with the paper. But it was really scary. I mean, not, nothing of it has been done and it's not I'm really great in depicting people. At least back then I didn't have much experience apart from like few drawing and painting classes in, in my <laughs> old art school. So I decided to focus on uh, older people portraits just because I knew that this edge glued paper should work fine for the wrinkled skin. 
but <laughs> I couldn't back then I couldn't even think that I would ever attempt uh, doing a young person <laughs> portrait. So kind of one step at a time, my first project, they were all depicting aged people. So I wouldn't worry too much about the smooth skin. <laughs> Your first portrait was of Babushka. Is there a story behind it? <laughs> it just, there, there's not really a story. The main thing about this portrait was how long it <laughs> took me and how I struggled with the whole process. Right now I can do quite large artworks in a couple months. But this portrait, I think it's about 50 centimeters. So it's not crazy big. But I've, it took me almost half a year to create it. Although uh, I still was working on some commercial projects at the same time. So it's not clear time exactly, but still overall, it was almost half a year. But the main issue was I just didn't know how to approach the eyes, the nose. Where would I place the lines? What kind of paper do I use? How do I work around all the shadows that paper strips produce? How do I differentiate hair from the skin? I mean, those things you'll never know how to do unless you actually start doing them. That's why I was overthinking everything. I was concerned about every single strip of paper. I was worried what if I, I don't know, place it in the wrong position, it will ruin the whole thing. So kind of more than half of it was just worrying about <laughs> not doing it right. <laughs> Do you feel that it was a lot easier once you got that first portrait out of the way? Yeah, I think once I finished it and I saw that it's actually good. <laughs> I think in the middle of it, I decided on what my next portrait is going to be because, you know, the six months <laughs> length of work, I did start to look into other things. I was too kind of bored doing just the same portrait. So I had already planned for my next work. And after I finished this Babushka portrait, it, it was just confirmation that, okay, this technique works, the idea works, I can move on to the thing I planned to do. So, and the next one was The Man with Pigeons. And how special was it to make a portrait of your own 88-year-old then grandmother? Well, that happened a few years later when I discovered my technique of painting with paper. Yeah, it was quite emotional because I don't see her much. She's still in Russia. And I, I tried to turn off all the podcasts or videos I was watching on the background when, when I work. So I tried to think about her, kind of remember things we were doing together, just kind of be inside my memories while creating those projects. I think I cried a little just missing her at that moment and then I gave her this as a gift so right now it's uh, in her flat. It sounds like your own journey with paper has undergone somewhat of an evolution. You started paper with drawing and then you started with just a paper and now you have watercolor with paper. How has that whole evolution gone? So I think it's moved from a very neat, organized and structured, simple designs such as typography to a more expressive, kind of colorful, freehand, you know, emotional portraits or I mean, not just portraits, just the style that is, is a lot more free. I think expressive would be the word. I compare it to expressionist art, but the main difference that instead of the flat brush stroke, I use the three-dimensional brush stroke, which I create by taking several strips of paper and folding them together in a very tight pack, 
zigzag shape. So basically it's like a three-dimensional brush stroke. And my portraits and other artworks, they would be simply laid out of these three-dimensional brush strokes. I wonder was there a point as you were exploring all these different things that you realized I can't do without this? I really got this idea that that's what I'd like to be doing during that first half a year that I was experimenting. Because like I, re- I remember, for instance, my husband, he would tell me, why are you keep doing these things with paper when you had such lovely hand-drawn illustrations? But I kind of I already knew back then that, no, I need to be doing this even though no one kind of saw it yet, no one liked it yet. I, I just had that inner knowing, that's it. And we thought that most likely I won't be doing it for a long time. I thought, okay, this uh, style became popular. I'm known for it. Maybe I'll be doing it for a few years until people get tired of it and I'll, I'll be forced to switch something else. But then year after year, another year, and my techniques keep evolving and I keep experimenting and every year I come up with something else and there's just no end to it. The longer I to it, the more excited I am about it and the more possibilities I keep seeing. So that's how it is. You said before that when you first started, no one liked what you were doing. When was that moment when you realized that people did like it? I think that having some commercial success and exposure that proved it to myself that I'm onto something. Although I did feel it from the beginning, as I said, it just takes some time for other people to see it as well. I think for artists as well, it's not like any other career where everything is fixed and you know exactly where you're going. Once you had the Guardian article, how did you build your reputation so that more and more people will come to you? and want to commission you? Because right now I think most of your work is commission work, right? So how did you reach that level? Literally one step at a time and thanks to internet, basically. Because once your first project appears, someone sees it and they might get ideas of how to apply this style to their project. So it's just a snowball. Once you start, then usually it just happens organically. But I still had to go through kind of a change of direction because a few years ago, my commercial side of my art practice has really began to slow down. There was a point when I pretty much stopped doing commercial work and uh, I didn't panic. I, I think it came at the right time. I was quite tired of just creating work based on the brief or things that other people needed. So that was the time I didn't have commission, but I concentrated on working on my portraits, things that I wanted to create myself, like following my own ideas. I mean, what the real artist would do. Because when you work for clients or or on a project, it's more like more designer, maybe, or kind of illustrators. You take someone's brief and you put your own mark on it. But when you actually... Your own, your own boss and you go deep into things that you want to create, things to come out, then when can you, you become the real artist. So I concentrated on that and gradually people started to come in and my art practice switched focus right now. I still do selected commercial work, but it's mostly either private commissions or just art that I create myself and then people 
might buy. And I must say, I right now I enjoy this a lot more than the work I've been doing in the beginning. But still, I mean, every stage is great. So I appreciate every year. <laughs> so how did the idea of your book, which was published in September 2019, how did that come about? I've been approached by many publishers to write a book, but the thing is they always wanted me to do a tutorial book. I really felt a very strong resistance to the idea, like an inner no, and I really don't want to do tutorials. That's not where my strength kind of an impact can come from. So I've been saying no to quite a few. And at some point, one lady got in touch with me and first she did ask about a tutorial book, but I think I was so fed up <laughs> with these suggestions at that point. So I kind of released all my emotions in my reply to her saying, I don't want to do a tutorial book. My, my work is not about, I want to encourage people to be free and kind of learn how to create things and not follow someone else's design. I want it to find inspiration within themselves. So I don't do it often, but that time I just unleashed all my frustration onto her. And she said, oh, okay, so what kind of book would you write instead? And I thought about it and I said that it probably would be something more about some techniques that I'm doing, but it would never give you some templates or steps that you need to follow. So I didn't have a concrete concept in my head, but we started this discussion and little by little, this idea started to shape and they decided to give it a go. And uh, I was given a half a year to write this book. And before I started writing it, I, I always kind of knew that I make decisions, I make creative decisions for a reason, but I could never formulate those decisions and like put things into words. Like, why do I use this specific color combination or how do I mix paper? So I do things intuitively. I never apply logic or a thinking mind to how I do things. But during the writing of the book, I had to actually go inside and try to find those reasons why to be able to explain them to people. And by doing that, I also kind of confirmed to myself that actually nothing is random. I do know why I do it, but just I didn't know how to explain it. So why do you do it then? Well, it depends on which particular aspect I'm writing about. I mean, how I select colors or like about composition. So you had this book and then you also now have a new game app called Paper Mingle. How did they start? It's an interesting twist. I would never thought I would be doing a mobile app, but basically, after seeing the popularity of such uh, great uh, casual games as uh, like Candy Crush, I got the idea that it would be nice to maybe create app inspired by my style, my paper art. And this way, pe more people would be introduced to the type of work that I do. They would maybe learn what quilling is. Because visually, I think this paper and this style, it has really nice tactile and textured feel to it. And kind of from my example, I know when I even on a mobile phone, I usually like have some texture, not just smooth. So obviously I, I didn't do it myself. I have like friends who are developers. They basically took all my pictures and designs and uh, applied their coding magic, making them move and interact. And it 
fun project because there are like new chapters we release every few weeks. So I always have to come up with new designs to make like every level and chapter look fresh and interesting. And I think it's the longest project I've ever been involved with because usually even the longest artworks would take me maybe like a couple of months, a couple of the years we discussed. This project I, I started more than a year ago and it's ongoing. So it's really fun. I even like playing it myself because I find it relaxing. So was this a project that kept you going because this happened during COVID, right? So how has COVID impacted you in your work? Yeah, the most part of the pandemic happened while I was developing this game, but uh, I still kept working on my portraits and other commissions. So I can't really complain. I got more and more people interested in my work. And I think maybe because right now, there's a need for like more beauty, more positive energy. And maybe just people want now they are forced to stay at home for just longer periods and they want to bring more like beautiful things in, inside their houses. So that's why maybe I get more commissions right now. Yeah, I love that, you know, while everyone's stuck at home, you have been so busy. One of the newest things you've done is this April, you put up your first NFT listing. So how did you first start thinking that I want to start an NFT project? Well, I had no idea about NFTs. You can think of me like your like grandma. I'm really slow with the technology, even though I made an app and everything. It's just digital things. They don't come easy to me. It actually was my husband who told me about NFT and it took me quite a while and a few articles, a few videos just to get a basic idea what it is. But I mean, I'm usually open to different things to try. So I said, yeah. But why not? I'll give it a try. I mentioned a lot of artists listening to this who also want to try and make their own NFT. The big question is how? So what is the process? You just first need to really learn and read because right now there are so many sources. They explain the process. So first you basically you get familiar with what it is and different options. Because I think different platforms, they have slightly different ways of how they offer NFTs. And maybe the first step would be to choose like where would you start, who would you start with? Like I'm with Foundation and I had to like ask a friend for an invite. So there are different platforms. Some of them are open to everybody some of them you need to be invited so I think the first step would be to look different maybe try to approach some of them see like who you want to work with and then usually they provide explanations of how to do it and then you get started why did you decide to settle with with foundation what about them that you liked well I tried a couple others and they didn't reply. <laughs> this was the third one I tried and I got in. So it's as simple as that. You just try different ones and the right door will open. And what else can we expect from you? Well, definitely more portraits. I think that's what I'm excited the most still, but on a larger scale. And I'm kind of experimenting with ways to work a bit faster so I can not suffer too much. <laughs> so the lengthy process, although I don't really, but just I think with every attempt, I find ways to work more effectively. So right now, I think that's my focus. It's still nothing compares with seeing the real three dimensions 
dimensional physical thing. Hopefully, once I can probably produce a bit some more of those large portraits, hopefully I'll uh, maybe do my first proper exhibition. And do you have any advice for people listening who want to be just like you? Well, usually my the main advice I can give is to just go for it and enjoy the process without putting too much expectations for the outcome that you'd like to achieve. Because it rarely works when you have a certain idea of what you want to achieve and where you want to go. But if you just play with it, see where it takes you, experiment. Sometimes you can like follow someone if you need to. But with this type of techniques, you don't really have to. And I think I'm the example that you don't really need to learn them. You just go ahead and then try different things. And it's the way to come up with something original. Because when you know how to do things the right way, you might as well do it the other way and realize that that's the valid way as well. For someone who is discovering your art for the first time, what kind of art pieces would you advise them to look at and explore and dive deeper? The one that is called Free Spirit, which is on the cover of my book, I think that's maybe summarized the essence of my style because it uses that very dynamic kind of freestyle. If you look closer, you will see that they are actually packs of paper braids element, which is kind of represents the experimentation part, which I always try to bring because, for, for instance, the, this portrait that I'm talking about, it came about because I started to make the braids out of white paper card. I made like a big bunch of them, like different thickness. And I said, what what can I do with those? And, uh, <laughs> and I said, okay, I'm, I'm going like, to apply them in a certain pattern and like, to make this woman's hair. And then I like find a photograph of the lady's profile that kind of fitted the rough idea that I had in my head. So it came out of the desire just to apply this <laughs> nice little braid to something but I think just any portraits will give you a good idea of what my style is and what is but what it is about I think what I want to convey with my artworks is like when you look at any of my portraits you can see they're alive you can feel that aliveness coming through even though they're really rough because there are even no drawn lines. Everything is just strips of paper, but somehow you can still feel the presence of a person behind them. Do you feel that you have found your why? Yeah, definitely. (laughs) And what kind of legacy would you like to leave behind? I think for me, it's just I want people to appreciate beauty and they want paper to be seen as a very, maybe it's like serious medium for conveying emotions, just to stand alongside all the other different mediums. I want to push the boundaries further with this particular paper techniques, again, to make people realize like the possibilities are endless and it's a wonderful, wonderful way to create And what do you think are the most important qualities of a successful person? I think a successful person really enjoys what he or she is doing. And regardless of the outcome, if it feels good, if you feel joy, then that's what is really important. And eventually it it just comes through and other people start to feel it too. So as long as you enjoy it, that's in the key. And where can people go to find you, find out more about what you're doing and even commission your work? I think my website, www.artyulia, 
www.ecoshop.co.uk. And from there, I have Instagram, where I usually like post the most recent artworks or sometimes work in progress or Facebook. I think it's easier to go to the website first and then see. And that was the end of episode 54. The show notes and transcript can be found at sothisismywhy.com forward slash 54. Alongside a link to subscribe to the weekly newsletter for this podcast. And stay tuned for next Sunday because we'll be meeting a Singaporean's founder who founded one of the top media companies in Southeast Asia, known for its memes, on how they first did it for fun, how they created viral content based on current affairs at the time, and how they've grown into the behemoth that they are now. Want to learn more? See you next Sunday.